Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm in conversation with a very, very accomplished and senior professional from food and travel, Eric Wolf. Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, Ash. Nice to be here. Thank you. Um, Eric is currently so lives in Spain, you know. So I'm sure that is you know a great place to be in. He, Eric is the executive director of the World Food Travel Association. He is recognized as the founder of the modern food tourism industry, and uh, he's a publisher uh, of uh, Have Fork Will Travel. Is this a magazine or a book? It's actually a handbook for the trade uh, okay. to help everyone in all different sectors across the trade to understand how to do business better within our industry. Okay, terrific. So Eric, let's talk about the World Food Travel Association. Tell me about the scope of work you handle. Sure. Uh, well, I founded the organization back in 2001 and grew it from nothing, you know, no members, no, no people, no, nothing, no products, to uh, an organization today that serves about 200,000 professionals in over 150 countries each year. And we have five different portfolios. We've got events, community, um, placemaking, uh, just as, you know, those are our most popular mm-hmm. ones. And we really do a lot. You know, we, we bring education to the industry. We bring cutting edge research to the industry. We provide a sense of community where professionals can gather and meet each other and exchange ideas and knowledge. And we really try to drive thought leadership and innovation in our industry. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Wonderful. So for our viewers and listeners, help me understand what is food travel or food tourism? Okay, that's a great question. A lot of people have that same question. And in some parts of the world, it's known as culinary tourism or gastronomy tourism. Mm-hmm. In India, typically, it's known as food tourism. Uh, but in Canada, it tends to be gastronomy tourism in southern, no, in Canada, it's culinary tourism. In southern Europe, it tends to be gastronomy tourism. It's basically um, traveling for a taste of place in order to get a sense of place. So mm-hmm. uh, we know from the research that we've done that 53% of leisure travelers now choose their destinations based on the food first. So before sites, before visiting fr- uh, friends and relatives, before shopping or activities, it's food. So where is, are we going to get good food? Okay. And then we can also do these other things. And that's over half of travelers today. Mm. Very interesting. You know, when we travel with our sons who are now 36 and 33, that's exactly our experience they first book where they want to go and eat. And we, my wife and I first book what we want to see. So, very, very so you're a perfect example of a, a consummate food traveler. Correct. Well said. So what are the issues that uh, you, know, you face with uh, food and drink tourism other than sure. the pandemic? And we'll come to that. Yeah, well, the pandemic is its own beast, but uh, I think that in the early days, we were always beating our drums to help destinations, business owners, and even consumers to understand that local 
just local areas, destinations have something unique in, in the form of their local food culture or mm -hmm. culinary culture, we call it. And we have always been working with them to try and understand how to preserve and promote those food cultures. And that is something that continues today. You have new people who come to the industry, uh, people, maybe destinations or businesses that are shifting and trying to understand how to, how to uh, do more with their businesses. But now... Uh, that things are changing in the industry, in all industries, we see sustainability is a huge issue that is affecting our industry. Um, also, the socio-cultural impact of tourism, so things like over-tourism or travelers who are bringing their values, their preferences, so people don't stop being vegan or gluten-free when they're on holiday. And those things like special diets are, are essential now. And the world I think, and travelers are moving a lot faster than businesses and destinations can, can adapt. And it's almost like you have to have a marketing plan and a strategy, but you almost have to keep it updated on a weekly basis because things change so fast. Amazing. And uh, a follow-up question, how has the pandemic affected you in the last 18 odd months? Well, um, affected me personally, it's, it's actually kind of been great because I've been able to catch up on work mm -hmm. and we've been able to really spend time on investing in improving some of our systems and business processes here in the association. So that has been a bit of a, a blessing. I always try to find the positive in something. And mm -hmm. at the same time, it's, it's really been hugely detrimental to our industry. As you know, we don't need to belabor that, yeah. but I think that um, it's, it has, we've tried to help our industry to see that same silver lining in the cloud. Mm. When this whole thing started, we tried to show business owners what they could do to, to um, survive. You know, one of our pieces, we, we had an article back in April of last year that was basically how to make lem lemonade out of lemons. And mm -hmm. we were saying things like, you know, if you need to, to take another job or if you need to teach your own language online or, or whatever it is, it's okay. Mm. You know, you can put your dream, your business, your baby, you can put it on hold for a while until things get better. And so, so that has been um, really primarily our focus for, for the, the longest period of time. We surveyed our members in May of last year, as well as December of last year, and asked them uh, if you had any plans to shut down your businesses. And only about 10% of people we surveyed really said, this is, this is horrendous. We're closing our doors. We're never coming back. Wow. And that was a lot better than we thought. We thought it was going to be a lot worse. Mm. So um, it's been hard, you know, and, and also in the association, I mean, like any other business, revenue has been down. Mm. Um, people are not really willing to spend money right now, and that's okay. So we have changed a little bit how we do things. We've expanded our scholarship program for our, all of our education and training mm -hmm. and try to be a, a, a good friend to our industry. Fantastic. And, you know, when I was reading about you, one of the comments that struck me was that you know, food helps you to communicate and connect with people. Uh, I'd love to understand this. Maybe if you can share some anecdotes or examples. Sure, absolutely. Well, I think um, what what you've just described is is referred to as gastrodiplomacy and food and beverage can be a form of communication. You don't need to speak the language. And one of my favorite examples is when I was in Korea, one of the first times, and I don't speak the language and the people I was with also didn't speak English. And so we were just kind of left to our own devices. What can we do? And they, we were over a dinner table and they were serving me um, seared tuna with sesame oil. 
and it was absolutely delicious. And so I just kept eating it and eating it and eating it. And we were, they were kind of laughing and I was laughing and we were, we were, they knew I was having a good time. And I knew that they were happy and we couldn't speak any language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's just one example of how food and drink can can right. tell a story. I mean, I, I've always said we should put the world's leaders in a hotel banquet room and lock the doors for a week and give them plenty of food and drink. Yeah. And at the end of the week, we'll either have world peace or they'll kill each other. And we can start fresh. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing you spoke about uh, your experience in Korea, South Korea. I had exactly the same experience in South Korea, but my experience with, was with rice wine. Ah, okay. And I just couldn't uh, figure out why they just kept pouring and I kept finishing it and they'd fill it up again. Yeah. And then I realized that in order to stop, I should have left half my glass. Yes. Was but that the Macaulay? I, finished, I had to actually hold the walls of, of the hotel <laughs> and get back to my room, you know. Was that the Macaulay? Uh, I forget the name. It was rice yeah. wine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the drink. That's probably another form of sake, I think. Yeah. Or, or soju. Soju. Probably. Soju. Soju. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So, you know, uh, I also I'd like to understand from you, like what you just shared, uh, you enjoy recommending unusual experiences. Uh, help me again understand with some examples. Yes. Um, and I, I have to, to give a caveat. I don't always partake in these unusual experiences, uh-huh. okay. but I like learning about them and sharing them with, with people. So uh, I've tried the Kopi Luwak coffee from Indonesia, mm-hmm. which if your listeners aren't familiar with it, basically the civet animal ingests the coffee beans and then the farmers harvest the beans from what, what comes out and, and, uh, and it, it affects the flavor. I believe that's the most expensive coffee in the world or something. It is. Yes. And I, you know, I thought it was fine, but would I pay that? Probably not. You know, it, it wasn't, I, I actually prefer Jamaica Blue Mountain if you want to talk about spendy coffees, but, mm. but uh, you know, and then, and then uh, a lot of times we like to tell people when they go to Southeast Asia, you have to try the scorpions and tarantulas, mm. but Unusual is not just about the, the food that's served to you. It could be about the people. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be about the venue. There's a, a cheesemaker in Wales in the UK that matures their cheese. It's Blenavon uh, cheese. And they, they mature at the bottom of a coal mine. And so you have the, the historic culture, because Wales is, is, was really big into coal mining, but they're still repurposing the mine today. And so it tells a wonderful story and something that visitors and locals alike can, can take and retell that story. Mm. Wonderful. And what would you say is your most unique food or beverage story? Oh my gosh. There's so many. Um, I think for me, it's the, the food has been important, but it's always been really about the people too. Mm-hmm. So you can serve great food, but that's not necessarily the most memorable experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been to Alain Ducasse in New York and Central in Lima, and those were great, wonderful experiences for the food. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say that probably my favorite dinner I've ever had was with a guy named Sinclair Phillip in Sioux Harbor, British Columbia. And uh, we were visiting Vancouver Island and he invited um, uh, us to dinner and it was a dinner in the summertime, which is, you know, Vancouver Island is stunningly beautiful anyway. And he had this, this wonderful resort and uh, wonderful kitchen, all these awards and everything. And to have dinner with the owner of the business and, and basically the chef was bringing out all these things, but the conversation and the wine, and I, before I knew it, five and a half hours had passed. 
you know, I could see that it was getting dark outside, uh, but it was just such that it was so lively and the conversation was so easy and it just, it just flowed from idea to concept and he was a very entertaining man. So imagine having a beautiful view of the, of the mountains mm -hmm. uh, in British Columbia and the, the ocean right there yep. in this beautiful setting with amazing food and a very, very funny and intelligent person. And I just, I still remember that meal to this day. Fabulous. So, uh, you know, from another perspective, your association and the food travel market, you must have got a huge database of knowledge on food and travel and destinations. Are you uh, sharing that with people on a subscription basis or if someone wants to travel somewhere? How, how does this whole thing work? Well, we, we serve primarily the trade. Um, we are talking about doing more with consumers where where um, we want to do more about the preservation of culinary culture, and especially when you see big brands and chains coming in, and especially after something like the pandemic, where the small businesses have large, not a lot of them have shut down. Mm -hmm. How can we help consumers to understand that they need to spend their money locally? Um, but the research that we do, we every five years we do a major report. It's called the Food Travel Monitor, mm -hmm. and we released it uh, the last one in January of 2020. Then the pandemic hit. We updated it with a, a special COVID update in July, mm -hmm. and that will carry us through 2025. And I think that we're really expecting some tremendous changes in this time period because of uh, Generation Z and the millennials and how how really consumers are changing. Mm -hmm. But we also have a report series called Taste of Place, and we do have one for India that's mm -hmm. done. Uh, Indonesia, we've got about uh, 20 reports right now, and people can access those in our member community at members.worldfoodtravel.org. Mm -hmm. And then every year we produce the State of the Food and Beverage Tourism Industry Report, and that's also free. And uh, in that time period, we interview 12 thought leaders around the world in our industry, food, beverage, tourism, and hospitality. And we ask mm -hmm. them how things have changed in their sector or in their geograph uh, geography, what, you know, what has changed and what do they expect to see in the next 12 months? And that comes out every January. Very interesting. So, you know, we just spoke a few minutes uh, about, ago about, about the, the way the younger people really look at where they will eat or where they will have a drink. In your opinion, what should really be done? Should food and beverage experiences be curated well in advance of the trip? Well, I think we have to ask the question, who's doing the curating? You know, is it done by a local or is it done by the, the traveler themselves mm -hmm. uh, or the, the destination marketing organization too? I think that this really speaks to the value of culinary tourist guides. Mm -hmm. And they are they have the power to really make a, a good trip an outstanding trip. And that's why we certify them as well in our association, because they're such important parts of the visitor equation. Mm. Uh, but times are changing and consumer tastes are changing. I mentioned the special diets and what we're seeing really now in the, now that Generation Z travelers are starting to come of age, they're in their early twenties now, but they, well, they were traveling right before the pandemic. Mm. Um, but what has really changed in that generation is we, we had always been marching towards people voting with their wallets. And if they don't like a business's policies mm -hmm. or, or how they treat people, then people will boycott it and they just won't spend their money there. But now what we're seeing is um, this, this idea of sustainability, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, similar issues as well. People, planet, profit, trip, bottom line, all of that. And people, 
young consumers, whether you're going to a restaurant or a hotel or even booking an airline, people are doing the research and they're saying, you know, what's your policy on this? You know, do women receive equal pay? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do uh, you know do you do you serve special diet food? You know, can I get veg- vegetarian and vegan there? Or is that difficult? I remember um, we went to a hotel here in Spain and um, I I did a little experiment and I said, you know, I'm vegetarian. Can you help me find food here? And then she said, well, yes, um, you can have any of the, the vegetables that we have here and they'll just grill them on the grill right there. And I said, the same grill that you're grilling all your meat on. Mm. And then she kind of looked at me and she realized that, you know, mm. so, so as travelers change, we're demanding these things. And if businesses can't rise to meet those, those changing consumers mm. needs, then they will not, they will not survive. So, uh, one more question before I move to the next part. Uh, you would have seen travelers across, over the years changing. The millennials and the Gen Zs today are demanding more experiences, right? People of my generation uh, are looking more of optimizing the number of days they're there, you know, and getting a blend of both sightseeing and experiences. Uh, how is the industry, the food food industry, adapting to the needs of different people because people of my generation have the money, have the time and are spending a lot of uh, spending a lot of money. But uh, the the millennials and the Gen Z's are the future. That's true. That's true. I think that the smart business owners will realize that those are all their future customers and that that things are changing with the, the special diets, the, the business policies and procedures are all very important. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you still have this very large market of older people, like you said, who have the money and the time to travel. And you really have to kind of meet both needs. And I, th- I do think that that older people are um, embracing to a certain degree of, of a lot of the changes that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we also see in our research is that older people tend not to like to experiment as much with food. So they might be happier to visit a chain restaurant, whereas a younger person would make every effort to avoid a chain restaurant. And, you know, the older people, it's, it's here, it's convenient. Let's not spend all day walking around the city, trying to find that exactly perfect cafe to have lunch in, Mm. you know, this chain is here. We'll just have lunch here. Mm. You're so right. Uh, So, uh, before I move to the personal questions, I do want to also ask you about your publication, Half Fork Will Travel. What do you cover and what is the frequency? Well, Half Fork Will Travel, uh, as I said earlier, was the handbook for the trade. And mm. that was a magnum opus. It was uh, over 50 chapters of every possible sector of our industry. So we looked at beverage tourism, we looked at lodging, we looked at the culinary destination life cycle, we looked at sustainability, we looked at so many issues. And what we were trying to do is do a couple things. First of all, to, to innovate, because that's one of the things that we, we do here at the association, and to talk about things that people really weren't talking about yet, but also to provide something that was really approachable for for everyday business people. A lot of the books, especially on our industry, are very academic, lots of research, sample sizes, Mm -hmm. and N equals, and correlation analyses, and and, now go away with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not interested. Mm -hmm. Don't understand it. I've tried. I don't get it. I don't want to get it. Uh, Just put it in everyday basic business 
language. Mm -hmm. And we are, so that was our volume one that came out in 2014 and we are 2013, and we will be having another volume coming out in 2023. So we're going to be updating it. Uh, and again, it'll be the same kind of approach. What can the next 10 years, what does what 2023 to 2033 look like? Uh, I think you'll probably see a lot of uh, emphasis on technology, a lot on sustainability, a lot on the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion that I talked about. But also, we really want to make sure that the the um, preservation of the colony cultures is spotlighted too. Interesting. So Eric, I'm now going to move to the last segment of our conversation. Um, our viewers and listeners love to get to know the guest a little more. So I have a few questions for you, which I say are questions for you personally. Okay. My first question is, what would you say are three key milestones or pivot points in your life or your career? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think probably the first one I would say is when I moved to New York City. I was living in Washington, D.C., and I graduated from uh, university and uh, spent a couple of years in D.C., and then I got a job in New York, and moving to New York, and I, I call it America's finishing school. Um, mm -hmm. It really is the, the, um, the best of everything in the United States. It, it just, you know, the way the people are, um, the, the, the performance that is expected. And I really learned to, to bring my A game to everything I do. And, uh, you know, whether it was social interactions, whether it was in the work environment, whether it was just everyday life, you know, New York demands the best of everyone and everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of became ingrained in my culture. So that was, that was probably the first one. And then I think the second one was obviously founding of, of the World Food Travel Association. I was working for a tech company in San Francisco, and the, that was in the time of the dot-com blowout. I'm sure you remember that, although some yep, of the younger yep. listeners won't know what that is. Mm -hmm. But it, it was a, a huge, uh, it sent a huge tremor throughout the the economy, basically. Mm -hmm. And I suspected a layoff. And so I um, moved to Portland, Oregon, I, I requested a transfer to the company's other office in Portland, they said, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Three months later, I got laid off. And during that time, I wrote a white paper about food tourism and the, the benefits and potential for destinations. And that gave rise to the association. So I think that was that was probably the, the most important milestone. And then I think the last one really was um, moving to Europe, which I did three years ago. Um, when you live in the United States, you, you have blinders on and you, you everything is American. You think American, you talk American, your entertainment is American, your food is American, everything is just like this. And when you live in on a continent where you can go 200 miles and it's another language, another culture, another dialect, another food, all of that, another wine varietal, you don't have that in the States because uh, it's so big right. and also such a new country. And I think that really moving here has expanded the potential for both me personally and the association professionally. We, we are... People understand tourism in Europe. They understand gastronomy in Europe. I think in a way that is more more in line with what we do here at the association. Americans are more um, concerned about the sustainability and things like that and um, special diets. And in Europe, it's more about the culture and the enjoyment of the food. Very interesting. So uh, Eric, I have time for two more questions. Of course. Um, my next question is on success. Uh, and my question is, you know, for someone who's been all over the world, lived in multiple parts of the world, from technology to food, what does success mean to Eric? 
Yeah, I would have loved to ask a younger version of myself that question. I think that success, first and foremost, is happiness with yourself, being okay with what you've achieved. And that is the first part of it. I think the other side of the equation is making a mark in the world. For me, I, I couldn't retire or I couldn't leave this mortal coil and not have done something. Mm-hmm. I have to leave an impact. And so I am, I'm happy with myself. I'm happy with my life, my family and where we live and all of that. And I'm happy with the mark that we've been able to make in the world as the organization. So, so I guess by those metrics, that's a success. Fantastic. That's my success. Wonderful. And my last question is who or what inspires you? Mm. I, th- I would have to say that I love thinking about what is possible, the possibility mm-hmm. of achievement. I love looking at a problem and figuring out a solution. I just, sometimes I can just see things and it just comes to me, right? And I just think, wow, this is, this is great. You know, that has inspired some of the products that our association has mm-hmm. developed as well. Uh, we were pitching a particular product 10 years ago and investors didn't get it, um, business incubators didn't get it. And now this type of product is starting to come to market 10 years later. So, so maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. But also, I think smart people inspire mm-hmm. me. I love meeting people who are smart and they, they give me ideas. We, we have great conversations. And I, I feel like I grow as a person when I meet people who are smarter than me, which is Fantastic. everybody. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Eric, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for taking me down this amazing journey of food or amazing travel with food. Um, and amazing stuff that you're doing for the industry. And I'm hoping one day you'll, it'll become a B2C platform where people can actually reach out to you and say, I'm going to be in this city. Where should I go and eat? But thank you again and good luck. Thank you, Ash. It's been great. It's really been a pleasure to, to speak with you. And uh, I love all that you do. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.